Tuesday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are as well. Really good show coming up here in just a little bit. Um, Got to get to a bunch of stuff. Andrew Kramer joins me here uh, in just a little bit. Uh, Vikings writer for the Star Tribune. We're going to talk through Vikings offseason, some of the uh, setting up the Super Bowl now that we know the two teams that are going to be playing, what these playoffs tell us about the Vikings, what Andrew thinks about this kind of vague notion of, man, if you're going to hit reset, if you're going to go all the way, should you think about a Justin Jefferson trade? How do the Vikings get the quarterback they need if they don't do that, which he thinks they could anyway? So lots of good insights from Andrew, lots of good thoughts from Andrew. We'll get to that all here in just a little bit. Big injury for the Gopher women's basketball team. We'll get to that towards the end of the show. Big trade for the Twins. We'll get to that in just a couple minutes. First, though, what did I miss? I'm going to start with the Wolves. I debated going back and forth. Do I start with the Wolves today? Do I start with the Jorge Polanco trade? Ended up going with the Wolves just because I felt like that game on Monday night was not even just a game. It felt like fans, Wolves fans, were really down on this team lately. And, you know, partially for good reason, right? They were spoiled the first half of the season. Everything was going right. They had a little dip, you know, three, four weeks ago, but then they seemed to come out of it. They came into this game Monday night co-leading the Western Conference, the whole conference, number one Tied with Oklahoma City, the team they were playing Monday night, tied for the conference lead, right? So here's a team that's been through a lot, a franchise that has been through a lot. You think Lions fans have been through a lot. We're talking about football. You think the Lions fans have been through a lot. The Wolves are basically the Lions of the NBA. They haven't won anything in a very long time. You know, scars up and down the fan base, just trouble, bad stuff happening all the time. So... Wolves fans have these scars. When something good seems to be happening, they're bracing for the worst. They're looking for every opportunity to think, oh man, is this where it's all going to fall apart? That's what it feels feels like was happening over the last seven to ten days or so. Wolves had that bad loss to Charlotte, right? The game they gave up the big fourth quarter lead, lost to Charlotte. Cat had 62 points. Weird vibe after the game where everybody's upset. And then they lost to the Spurs the other night. Another bad team. Then they've been just barely holding on to beat some other bad teams. Not playing their best basketball lately. Part of that, Mike Conley Jr. hasn't been in the lineup all that much lately. Part of it just maybe a little bit of lull. And part of it, though, fans wondering, hey, what? Where's this Where's this team that we saw the first half of the year? Where is the kind of well-rounded 48-minute effort that we were accustomed to seeing for so much of the start of the season? So this game against Oklahoma City felt as much as a mid, you know, late January test as it did almost like a referendum. If they would if they go into this game and they lose, I feel like every not everybody, but I feel like some Wolves fans were ready to Jump off and just say, you know what? Nope, we're not. We're not. We're not getting on this bandwagon. We're jumping off this bandwagon. We're getting off before we get hurt. So that's probably too much to think of a January game. In fact, I know it's too much, but that's the vibe I felt going in. So for the Wolves to win 107-101, to do it without Mike Conley Jr., which head coach Chris Finch talked about after the game, that being an important step, got a mature effort down the stretch in particular didn't get a you know they, they still bickered they were still upset with the little things refereeing um anthony edwards had a dunk towards the end of the game that was kind of an exclamation point 
also got really mad they didn't get a foul call. But you know what? He was he was right. He was mad about the refs all game. Shy Gilgus Alexander shot, I believe, one more free throw than the entire Timberwolves team. He got to the line 16 times. Wolves got there 15 times and was fouled on that play by Shy Gilgus Alexander. He was upset that he didn't get that whistle, didn't get that call. He complained about um, Gilgus Alexander getting calls the previous time they played at Target Center um, a week or two ago when, when Oklahoma City got the win. So this has been something that's simmering with Ant. I think it's a respect thing. It's you know it's a, a league-wide kind of, hey, when am I going to get those calls kind of thing? And Ant gets his share of calls. He didn't get a ton last night. I think he got four. Trip, he, I, mean, you know, I think he only shot four free throws. But he does get his share of calls. But Shai Gil- Gilgus Alexander goes to the line a lot. And he did a lot last night. So that was bugging Ant. In fact, here was Ant after the game to Bally Sports North. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm going to take the fine because the refs did not give us no calls tonight. We had to play through every bump, every grab. I don't know. I don't know how we won tonight. Uh, Big shout out to my team. Big shout out to my coaches for sure. So he was mad. He was mad about that. At the end of the game, he kept telling Shai Gilgis Alexander, you fouled me. He was yelling at the refs. They didn't let it affect their play, though, at least not that I could see. Ant still made the right plays almost all the time. He still was controlled. He was you know, going to the hoop when he should have been, trusting his teammates when he needed to be. Um, Jaden McDaniels, a huge tip-in bucket late that kind of sealed that game for them, got, got them you know, to the finish line. Anyway, long story short, it's, it's a big, big, big win. You, know, you don't want to say, you know, huge win, hey, back to being title contenders, but it almost feels like fans are back in now. They were like, okay, show us something. You built up all this equity in the first half of the season. It's starting to slip away. Show us something. Now that you're playing a good team again, show us what you've got. And it feels like the Wolves did that in this game. It wasn't like everybody was firing on all cylinders, but they did what they needed to do on defense, did what they needed to do on offense. And if it was a referendum on the momentum of this season, uh, the Wolves got what what I would consider a statement win in this game. As you were watching that game on uh, Monday night, you probably caught wind of the Twins trading longtime infielder Jorge Polanco to Seattle for four players, two major leaguers, two prospects. And Polanco, you know, signed like 15 years ago. He was like 16 years old, signed like you know, 14, 15 years ago. He's been a mainstay here for so long. Switch hitter. He's had some great years, some lagging, you know, nagging injuries the last couple of years. Before that, he was a very durable player. Seattle gets the best player in this trade. And usually when that happens, you say, okay, Seattle won the trade. I think in this case, it's more of a deal that helps both teams. I think it helps the Twins because they get back four guys, two people that could help them immediately in 2024, and you know, a couple prospects that could help down the line, including one blue chipper who was very highly rated in the Mariners organization. So the two guys that could help next year, Anthony DiSclefini. So he's a 33-year-old right-hander, did not have a great year with San Francisco last year. 4-8, and eight, ERA almost 5, shut down for the last two months with elbow problems. That does not yell out, hey, this is a guy you got to have, but a guy that could help him. If you look at his career numbers as a starter, it's a lot of hit and miss, right? It's a lot of it's a lot of, you know, good year, bad year, good year, bad year, injured, um, pitched a lot for the Reds. Uh, Twins can't seem to get away from Reds pitchers, by the way. They've had a lot of them. There's a sunny gray. Um, they went for Tyler Malley. They, you know, now they're going for uh, uh, Desclafini. So, you know, you look back at it and you're like, okay, throughout history, he's got 
you know, three or four years that you're like, okay, I would take that year. Um, you know, he's had some years with good ERA, good ERA plus, good, uh, good FIP. You know, he's had like he had some arm problems, missed all of 2017. 2021 was his last good full season with the Giants. Um, you know, pitched two shutouts that year, two complete game shutouts, 31 starts, 167 innings, and an ERA of 3.17. Um, that's that's pretty good. Like that's not the norm for him but if you can even get his average season which the reds got a lot of you know the average season basically um you know 2019 9 and 9 with a 3.89 ERA in 166 innings that would be fine he said you know if you kind of take the aggregate if he gives you 25 starts next year let's say he's in the back end of your rotation let's say he's like the number 5 starter gives you 25 starts with an ERA around 4 i think if you were the twins you are overjoyed without prospect you're basically replacing kenta maida here you're not replacing sunny gray so that's an important distinction you're not replacing Ken, you're not replacing sunny gray so everybody kind of bumps up unless there's more to come in terms of top end of the rotation help this kind of bumps everybody up this goes to what glenn perkins was talking about on last week's show where joe ryan's got to take a step forward if you think joe ryan is your number two starter then this makes a lot more sense than you know going out and trying to spend a lot of money or, or dealing a bunch of prospects for a number one or number two caliber starter so that is what this signals to me. Now, you got some other guys in the deal as well. Got a relief pitcher who was pretty good last year as well, Justin Topa. Um, you know, didn't make his debut for a long time after getting drafted. He's on the old side, 32 years old, but he had a really good year last year. 2.61 ERA, 69 innings, 75 games. You know, it took him a long time to make his debut. Uh, he was drafted in 2013. He's been on a bunch of teams, a bunch of, you know, independent ball. You worry that maybe this is the kind of guy who had a career year as a reliever last year and it won't be duplicated this year, but you don't know. A guy who was effective in the bullpen last year could be, you know, kind of in the mix, not your closer, but a guy who can pitch, you know, in medium to high leverage situations when you need him. Um, so that's another arm that could be useful next year. Then you get two prospects, including Gabriel Gonzalez, number five prospect in the Mariners organization, good power, still just 20 years old, but is, you know, doing some good work in high class A ball. Could be either another trade chip or a guy that you want to watch come up. And then Darren Bowen, pitcher, right-hander, <clears throat> uh, number 25 prospect in their organization. So they got two guys who were top 25 prospects in the Mariners organization in this deal. You give up Polanco. That's a lot to give up, but you also got a lot of infield depth. Edward Julian last year kind of emerged. You've got Brooks Lee ready to take on some sort of kind of middle infield role for you. So there's a lot there. Getting rid of Polanco hurts, right? You, you, you giving, you're getting rid of established production. You're getting rid of a guy who has been here for a long time, one of your core players for a very long time. But you got to give something up to get something. Twin, Twins plugged a lot of holes here and already have some plug-and-play holes with Brooks Lee um, ready to step in for, for Jorge Polanco. So I think it's a good trade overall. I like the trade. I don't think any of these players they got back individually at the major league level are going to wow you but they are depth pieces who could help the twins got some money in the trade too so maybe that helps them sign free agents or kind of bridge the gap this year not a trade that's going to say you know not a trade that you're going to say wow they got that guy but a trade that should help them compete in 2024 and beyond grand casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion the hope the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. 
Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk football with Andrew Kramer, Star Tribune Vikings writer. It's been a few weeks. Andrew is usually on for the film review during the season, but Andrew, we know the Super Bowl teams now. Vikings offseason of intrigue is starting to, I don't want to say take shape. The season's not even over yet. Nothing can happen for, you know, a month, month and a half, but just kind of what we see from, you know, what we see and what we hear already is making this an off season of intrigue. Um, I, I would, I would imagine you agree, especially after watching the, watching those championship games over the weekend. Oh, absolutely. And, and seeing that, you know, the NFC is not this quarterback, you know, minefield that the AFC, for instance, is it felt like watching those two games, they were so different. It felt like Lions Niners were truly two solid, great teams. And not to say the Chiefs and Ravens aren't, but the Chiefs and Ravens have the head of the snake on each one where it's like, those are the guys and they make everything go. And the Vikings don't have to worry about that so much in the NFC, yet they've still got their question of how good does quarterback need to be and who is going to be that quarterback uh, for us. And that's what makes this all fascinating is, is the Kirk Cousins rehab is, is going into his first real dive into free agency since he first signed with the Vikings because the Vikings have always re-upped him and prevented him from doing this. Um and then going into their draft selection at number 11 overall of being in striking distance to take the next guy in what is supposed to be a loaded quarterback class. So you're right. Um, off season of intrigue and then their NFC rivals making the runs that they did. Uh, NFC North rivals making the runs that they did uh, really kind of puts the pressure, I feel like, on Quase and O'Connell even more than they felt it you know, a month ago. Yeah, I mean, the Lions win two playoff games. They're up 24-7 at halftime. Um, you know, they keep seeing the live shots of Ford Field. Everybody's happy. Didn't see a lot of live shots in the second half uh, when things were falling <laughs> apart, unfortunately. You know, that's that's what happens to teams that maybe don't have all that experience. And then just one thing happens. You, you go for it on fourth down. You're up 24-10. You eschew the field goal, which they've done all year. You get a drop pass and you could see Dan Campbell's face as they went to break. It was like, ah, he knew that hurt. He can maybe, he, I don't know if he saw everything coming, but that was the turning point. They end up losing that game, but you know, they have a lot of the pieces, right? Like Jared Goff is not a great quarterback, but he's a good enough quarterback. Like if the Vikings had the lions overall roster, we would be saying bring back Kirk cousins uh, because that's how good the rest of the lions roster is. And they've got a bunch of high picks again this year's too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Brad Holmes, the GM, deserves being voted executive of the year by the, the Pro Football Writers Union as he was. Um, excellent job in their third year. He also took over a franchise that had accrued a lot of teardown worthy parts um, by being awful for years and years and years in a way that Quasey and the Vikings did not. I think the Lions have played their hand better than the Vikings have so far under Quasey in, in just two years. Uh, in his time in Minnesota. However, they also got a better hand. They got TJ Hawkinson. Now let's just get rid of him, get some more picks. They had Matthew Stafford, a, a better uh, trade piece than Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. And they said, yeah, let's move him, 
also get our quarterback of the future and more picks. It kind of worked out for them two ways. So they've had a stroke of luck in various ways that they did not have in the NFC title game there at the end. Um, when it comes to roster construction, they've also hit home runs. They hit home runs on Amon Ross St. Brown, Panay Sewell, um, Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, like all these guys just nonstop uh, are going to be fixtures and headaches of the Vikings for years to come. And I think the staying power of Detroit has to be one of the biggest concerns in the, the now reports that Jared Goff is probably going to sign an extension of 40 million plus per year because he absolutely deserves it with what he's done um, as, as the head and as a guy who's really progressed on his own to be a reason why teams win and not just kind of a guy who gets dragged along in the winning. Um, all of those things have got to make the Vikings think, boy, how much work do we have to do on this roster? Cause it's a lot. It's in, when I watch who was in the final four for the NFL, it just screams trenches every single time it screams yes. O line. It screams D line. The way that the lions got up to a 24 seven lead was cause they were just leaning on San Francisco, um, and, and really able to run the ball the way that they were against everybody this year. Um, and when all of a sudden things got tight and they felt like they had to pass and felt like they had to kind of press it, that's when things fell apart for Detroit. In much ways, we've seen things fall apart for San Francisco because they're built in a similar way. The Vikings do not have that outside of Christian Derisaw, um, outside of you know maybe a, a decent tight end and Josh Oliver and then obviously TJ Hawkinson. They've got some pieces, but they really don't have... Um, they don't certainly don't have the depth, can't withstand injuries, but they don't even have the blue chip starter level talent that you would need to even start this conversation in the trenches. Who are their D linemen, Mike? Who are their defensive yeah. line? They well, they haven't invested in it, right? We've talked about this. Like the last time they took a defensive lineman in the first round was eleven years ago, Sharif Floyd, right? Like they just haven't put the resources into it. They haven't developed a lot of talent along that line. I mean, they've got some guys that are fine right now, but you're right. Like Daniel Hunter is still their best defensive lineman. He's a free agent. He was drafted in 2015. Like they haven't invested in it. And that's the problem. The old line they've definitely invested in. It's just been the investments have been hit or miss, right? Like O'Neal, you feel good about Darisaw, you feel good about everybody else is like, eh, they already traded Ezra Cleveland. I don't know what you think about Ed Ingram. Garrett Bradbury, like the interior of the offensive line is no closer to being fixed than it was three or four years ago when they started doing this whole process. It's not. And and I think Garrett Bradbury at center has made some strides. He's better than the player he was under Mike Zimmer. However, he is a relic of an old way that they wanted to do things, which was a mobile light center on these wide zones kind of stuff that they don't do anymore. He doesn't necessarily fit what they're trying to do offensively. And he certainly is not a fit for a power run game. And he hasn't been much of an anchor in all the 40 plus times they want to throw the ball per game under Kevin O'Connell. So I don't know how long his, his stay is going to be here as much as Ezra also got shipped out. Same kind of deal, lighter interior linemen built for mobility, not built to really withstand the punishment now that these defenses are bringing you. Um, and so I, I think both of those spots are worthy of address being addressed. And then of course you bring up Ed Ingram. Yeah, they don't have a long-term solution right now on the interior and, and yeah, defensive line was, the reason why I brought that up is that is the most barren position I feel like right now. Yes. Uh, free, not only is Daniel Hunter a free agent, so is Marcus Davenport. They're going to let him obviously walk or kick him out the door. And then D DJ Wanham is just a depth piece, even if they bring him back. He is nothing more than your third or fourth option. So they, they really need to find a way to hit on some of these pieces and not only bringing in guys in free agency who 
overplay their value like a Jordan Hicks or a Harrison Phillips. Um, but also in the draft, second, third rounders at these premium positions. And oh, by the way, they they don't have a third rounder this year. No, still the relic of the Hawkins and trade, right? They swapped third and fourth rounders with the Lions, which ends up being a pretty significant gap when you finish seven and 10 and Detroit finishes 12 and five. I mean, the difference between your third and their fourth is probably about 50 picks, not just one round. Mm. Um, back to the O-line for one second too. Like w- the defining play of this, there's a lot of defining plays of the season. So maybe this is overstating it, but one or two of the defining plays of this season will be remembered as the failed tush pushes of Nick Mullins. And that was part of like, if you can't get a foot on two plays where all you're trying to do is jam a whole bunch of bodies forward, that tells you there's still a problem on the offensive line. In addition to Brandon Powell and Nick Mullins, maybe not being the most physically uh, not being the most swole guys on the team either. Yeah, there was that play was a microcosm of the issues you're talking about, but also Kevin O'Connell and a coaching staff being lost with a backup quarterback and just not not knowing what to do. But to your point, though, you could expand that one play into the last couple years. The Vikings have been one of the worst power run teams over the last couple years under Kevin O'Connell. That is not just a scheme thing. That is also a personnel thing. They have not been good at pushing piles forward, at moving people. I mean, that's what, you know, I love how Paul Allen calls the Vikings O-line the Minnesota moving company. That's wishful thinking as much as anything because they just are not. Um, They need to get back to that. They need to find some new personnel, new players, new blood in there. And I do think coaching can meet them halfway in the run game. We can get into the whole grand thing about how this running game was not well schemed and match its parts didn't didn't maximize the parts that it had and i do wonder how much kevin o'connell is going to try to insert himself into that process more so this offseason i think i saw a stat they were 27th in running game dvoa each of the last two seasons which is the kevin o'connell era and that is not good but they have seven rushing touchdowns this season weren't three of them josh dobbs yep yeah and seven was that was a franchise low for a non-strike season so the 62-year history of the Vikings, 61 outside of the strike. They have never had fewer rushing touchdowns, or they tied, I suppose I should say, fewest rushing touchdowns. And yeah, three of them come from a quarterback you brought in halfway through. Who, who only played like four or five games. That's amazing. <laughs> um, you're right, though. The trenches, like the San Francisco turned that game to a degree in the trenches when they could get more consistent pressure on Goff in the second half and turned some of those drives into three and outs. I mean, Detroit certainly self-destructed, but San Francisco also on the offensive line was pushing piles, giving McCaffrey plenty of places to go on the, in the other game. Um, you know, that game was definitely one in the trenches. Like Kansas city is winning differently than they used to. Like Mahomes is still brilliant, but defense has told a lot of the story of their success this year. They beat the Ravens who had been averaging like 34 points a game or something like that. They hold them to 10 points. They're blitzing Lamar Jackson. They're getting pressure all over the place. Like that, tells you that tells you that the trenches were part of the AFC story too. Oh, absolutely. And and I thought Steve Spagnuolo, the, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, had a phenomenal um, run really through Houston and Baltimore, made Todd Monken and, and uh, Lamar Jackson look like they had never seen a blitz before and didn't have any answers for it. Um, it was incredible to see that. And yeah, you, you see the investments that the Chiefs make. They pay Chris Jones. They let Tyree Kill walk. They draft George Karloftis with one of their first round picks. Um, they lean on a uh, much like Flores, an aggressive style of weird. You're going to attack the quarterback, even if we can't trust just a four-man rush. So no matter what, they're going to find a way to create that pressure. And that's what the smart defensive coaches are doing. And the smart roster builders are leaning into that with guys who can rush the passer. Uh, the Vikings did 
didn't draft Ivan Pace, but Kwesi can thank Brian Flores for picking him out at the Senior Bowl last year and saying, this guy can blitz. And he ended up being one of the best blitzers for the Vikings this year as a rookie. That means his trajectory is, I think, just going to go up from there. So those are the kind of skill sets the Vikings need to find, maximize it. You know, I understand coaches want to stop the run and get into third and long. Um, these are the the third downs the Lions converted on the Niners. Third and nine, third and 10, third and 12, third and 18, and then third and seven. Yeah. Great offenses are just going to do it. It's going to happen. But you need to have the guys who can stand up in those moments and change games. Um, and obviously, the AFC teams have those. I thought the Ravens had those too, but Patrick Mahomes is just incredible. How about that one play where Patrick Mahomes looked like his knees were just bent in half, yet he yeah. like kind of does this 360 thing like Gumby and then pops back up like it's just incredible. It's a quarterback league as much as we want to talk about every other position. And then next behind that, the the point is, is that it's it's a, a league for guys who can try to find a way to stop those quarterbacks. So you can look at this in, in one of two ways, and neither one of them is particularly flattering for the Vikings, right? You look at the AFC, the Chiefs have been to the Super Bowl a whole bunch. Now they're trying for their third win in five years in the Super Bowl. They've got Mahomes, the best quarterback on the planet. Like that's how they're getting it done in part, even though their defense is a lot better now. Um, they beat Baltimore, which has probably the, the MVP, Lamar Jackson, quarterbacking them. In the other, and in the NFC title game, you've got two teams, like you said, with better balance, with good quarterback play, but that are built more like just like good, solid teams from top to bottom. They can run the ball. They have good defense. You know, at times the Lions probably need to improve there a little bit more, but you know, de- depth and talent up and down the roster. The Vikings have either one of those things right now, Andrew. Like they don't have the depth of talent on their roster, nor do they have their guy at quarterback. And do those two ideas inform the other? I guess what I'm saying is like if you if you had a better roster, maybe I've already said this, but if you had a better roster, you could make the case for, yeah, you know, run it back like the Lions will do with Jared Goff. Sign Kirk Cousins for two or three more years, because you got a roster that you don't want to mess around at quarterback. You could get better, but you can still win with Kirk Cousins. I don't think they can still win, at least not at a high level. You can maybe go nine and eight next year with Kirk Cousins. You could maybe, your ceiling is maybe get into the playoffs, be competitive in one playoff game. That's not what you're competing for, though. Like, is is the fact that they seem further away from a talent standpoint, not just a quarterback, a reason to think about, eh, like, is this one other reason to kind of start over at that position because your timelines aren't aren't lining up? Yeah, I think they're going to start over at that position, even if they keep Kirk Cousins, meaning like, yeah, you know, we've talked about it. I think they'll draft a quarterback this year. I think they're going to find the guy that they pin their hopes on. But I think they want Kirk to come in and give that guy kind of a runway, uh, you know, a runway of learning and not having to get out there right away, feel all the pressure and all that. And then the struggle of keeping Kirk is going to be giving money to make him feel good about being here in a couple of years and actually being that guy and not getting replaced. So I do think that they want to do that. But to your point about depth, um, I think what the Lions kind of really taught the Vikings and what they should maybe the lesson to take away from this Lions team is that you don't necessarily need a top five defense to to win. You don't necessarily need that the lions didn't have that um the lions had difference makers playmakers they made big plays they were incredibly aggressive you could play action this lions uh defense 
away because of how aggressive they were. And the Vikings did that. Nick Mullins threw for 400 plus yards each time because they were able to do that. The Lions couldn't cover uh, much of anybody downfield, uh, yet the Niners still had some trouble moving the ball against them because they could, their own way, they could stop the run and kind of force them in those game plan ways to make it an issue. Um, but what the Lions have is one of the best well-rounded offenses in football. And if the Vikings can find a way to have a running game, they're not that far off from that with the quarterback play because Justin Jefferson's the best receiver in football. Jordan Addison just showed you he's Devonta Smith 2.0. Uh, TJ Hawkinson is one of the best tight ends in football. Uh, Christian Derisaw can be Trent Williams for the next 10 plus years with the way his mind works and the way he approaches things. You just need to find a way to create a running game. You need new running backs. You need a new interior O-line. You probably need some new schemes. Um, it it feel, sounds like that's far away, but what you need is an offense that can routinely score 30, 40, which is tough in the NFL. But with that talent, the Lions kind of did that. And, and the Lions didn't have to have Patrick Mahomes. They didn't have to have Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow to kind of elevate them. Jared Goff fit what exactly what they needed. And they were a drop pass, a fumble, uh, an interception off the face mask away from being that Super Bowl team. So if I'm the Vikings, I'm thinking I need difference makers in the pass game. I need pass rushers. Yes. But do I need a top? corner necessarily maybe not the lions gave up 100 plus to every number one wide receiver the last five games outside of this most recent game um the lions could again we're not a great lights out defense so i think the vikings do need a lot of moves but their offense is the, the saving grace you can fall back on the pieces that you have on offense it is one of the most talented skill groups in football you got the left tackle the number one o-line piece there you just need to add some more pieces there you need to strike some gold a lot and jackpots a lot on defense. Um, but I really don't think this offense is that far away from making them relevant. I really don't. I think that's fair. I just wonder if given their draft capital and their stated desire or you know interest in drafting their quarterback the future and being high enough to do that at number 11, you said already don't have that third round pick that, you know, that you're, you're talking about, one other pick in the top 100, then the number 42 pick, you probably will have to trade up if you're going to trade, if you're going to get that real blue chip quarterback of the future. How do you address all these other needs while also addressing quarterback? Yeah, you don't. You're probably two years. Yeah, you're years away still. This, if they would have just rebuilt the first year, if, if they would have. <laughs> I assume, and from what we've heard, this front office was a little more amenable to rebuilding right away than ownership was. If they would have traded Kirk right away, dealt Daniel Hunter uh, right away, if they would have ripped it down to the studs, they would be farther along right now in all of those things than they are. But they felt like ownership said this. The Wilfs felt like they were culture away from competing. And then they felt validated in that by going 13 and four. And then it still took some convincing to strip it down after that, which to their credit, they kind of did, but they did it in half measures. They still kept Kirk. They paid Daniil. And then they went seven and 10 because they had right. some injuries that didn't happen the first year. Um, so they're going to be set back because of those decisions. And some of that's ownership. Some of that's not even the general manager, but the general manager's decision the first draft, uh, uh, some of the pieces they brought in to patchwork it that didn't work out, like Marcus Davenport. There were some decisions acutely that just were bad and did not work out, did not pan out. So there's blame, there's blood on everybody's hands. 
Um, however, all those things mean that, yeah, they're set back and no, Mike, I don't think they're a year from there. There are a couple years from reloading this roster. I just think that they're fortunate that you got wide receiver one left tackle one. You've got some key pieces here already in place. Royal credit union, smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking insured by NCUA. You mentioned the 2022 draft, a couple more things for you. Um, that's that did set them back, right? Like the fact that mm-hmm. they've got nothing out of Lewis seen Andrew Booth, Jr. Brian Osamoa, you've gotten something out of a Caleb Evans, but you just not, you're not getting the kind of contributions that the Lions or the Packers are getting from their top 100 picks from these last two drafts. You just aren't. Jordan Addison's very, been very good. Um, Ivan Pace obviously was a you know, undrafted fine. Both of those guys were on the all-rookie team, at least the pro football writers' all-rookie team first team. Um, so you've got something going there, but that you're haunted by that 2022 draft. Now, you mentioned you got wide receiver one. This is controversial. You had to address this in the... I think it was in in the in the mailbag you just did recently a few days ago. People asking you like what what about a Justin Jefferson trade? Like nobody's got an appetite for it, right? Like nobody wants to see Justin Jefferson leave Minnesota, but you're also staring at the pro- probability of paying him 30 to 35 million, maybe more, who knows, to sign him long term. Number one wide receivers generally don't win championships on their own. You've got to have a lot of things around them. It's the quarterback that you're paying that kind of money usually. And you've got a lot of other needs. Like there's a temptation to think, hey, here's this button we can push. And then kind of like the shortcut is this. And you already got Jordan Addison that. I don't think this is the solution, but what do you think of that idea and and just where that would land with decision makers in that inside the actual building? It would not surprise me if that idea has been floated you know, as, as a front office and an ownership, that's probably wanting to look into everything also with a guy that they have yet to sign to a contract extension, there might be some frustration that they haven't been able to do that yet. Um, that doesn't mean that there isn't a hundred percent commitment from Kevin O'Connell, from Quase Adolfo Mensa to do that deal. Keep Justin Jefferson, a Viking, um, for the rest of his career, because that is exactly the type of guy you do that with. And it's the kind of guy you win with in today's NFL. There's no question about that. Um, This is only a legitimate conversation, though, if he helps you get the next franchise-altering, game-changing quarterback. If you can upgrade somehow from having bona fide best wide receiver one to having top five quarterback, if you believe in Drake May, if you believe in somebody in this draft class that can give you that, because I don't think it's Caleb Williams, because you're not getting the number one pick from Chicago. No way. If Jefferson's going anywhere, it's not in the division. Um, so at that point, if you feel like he is your ticket, your golden ticket to that, that is the only reason to have this conversation. It, it really is. It's it, to me, it doesn't make sense to do a chief's Tyreek Hill thing. They did that because they had Patrick Mahomes. They did that because they had a guy in Tyreek Hill who wanted more money and had off field concerns of, are we going to regret paying this guy even for what he can do for us on the field? The Vikings will have no remorse paying Justin Jefferson, whatever he wants, because the guy has zero off field concerns. He turns 25 in June. Tyreek Hill was a couple years older when that deal got done with Kansas city and Tyreek Hill only got a late first round pick a second round pick, two fourths and a sixth in return. 
that doesn't sound like enough to me. And I'm sure Justin Jefferson would command more in this hypothetical trade scenario, but that still also doesn't sound like enough to me for what he is. You acquire first round picks in the hope of drafting Justin Jefferson, and you've already got him now, and you've got him in a place where he feels comfortable with the quarterback you have. He wants Kirk Cousins back, just like the yes. Vikings do. And I, I really think that they're going to make all of that happen. So I think it is kind of one of those asinine questions that you hear get tossed out there, but there's only legitimacy to it if the Vikings feel like this is our only way to get that quarterback. And I don't think it is. You're at number 11 overall. If you were at number 25 overall in the draft, number 20 again, and you're like, gosh, we're so far away from those top options, we need to make something drastic happen, then maybe I could see entertaining that. Um, I think inside the building, though, that probably gets treated with the same kind of heresy it does uh, uh, most Vikings fans because Justin's the reason you won so many games. Justin's injuries, seven games missed, um, is a reason why they had to struggle, especially through some of those portions uh, on the back end when you lost Kirk Cousins. If, if Josh Dobbs were jumping right into Kirk Cousins' offense or Nick Mullins were, I do think that looks differently in November at Denver or against Chicago, um, those two losses specifically. So, yeah, Mike, I, I don't, I really don't think this is something that's being considered seriously. I have even given no indication of that. I just wanted to address that question because it is one that Vikings fans certainly have bandied about. One more question for you. Who do you like in the Super Bowl? It, you might have 13 days, 14 days to, to figure this out still, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty interesting, it seems like a pretty even matchup, even if the teams are very different. It is. I love both of these teams and I have a hard time picking against Patrick Mahomes underdog, right? Like, and I don't know if they're still going to be considered underdog. I don't know what the line was, but it opened two and a half and then it went to like one and a half really fast. But San Francisco was the favorite at least. Yeah. That, oh, and then that's all you need, right? That's already on the bulletin board. That's already inside every locker um, in Kansas city. So to me, um, you have to pick the best quarterback. That's what it comes down to. He's the best player on planet Earth. He might be the best quarterback of all time already, just based on talent and what you're seeing out of him. Um, and the fact that they've been able to do this uh, without much of a receiving core, they're playing with a bunch of guys from the Y. Like you would see this on an XFL field in terms of Richie James. Like what, you know, Sky Moore is a second round pick. They're not even playing because the guy can't even get out there. Um, I think that it's so impressive what they're doing, and especially Steve Spagnola and on defense. I got to take the quarterback over Brock or Patrick Mahomes over Brock Purdy at that spot because you saw these guys, what they look like when the pressure got to them. I thought Lamar Jackson looked flustered. I thought he looked like he felt the pressure. I thought not, not like the physical pressure of the moment he felt it. And I thought that Brock Purdy had the same thing in the first half when they were down and credit to him for having nherves of steel and making those plays, but it took a, a, a interception off the face mask bounce. It took a lot of things to kind of go his way. And I know San Francisco might be the more complete team, but I just told you all those those downs, third and nine, third and 10, third yeah. and 12, third and 18, third and seven. Jared Goff converted that on the Niners defense. I heard Greg Cosell, one of the best NFL minds, say this Niners defense is not what you think it is. They're not as dominant as you think they are. And I think we saw that in that NFC championship game. And I think Patrick Mahomes is going to go to his third title, is it, in five years? Yeah, he'll be third and five. And we're going to be talking uh, dynasty the way that we should be. If anything, though, we already know that the Kirk Cousins curse has been broken. No team 
had ever uh, made it to a Super Bowl after losing to Kirk Cousins in a season, but congratulations to the 49ers for doing that. <laughs> I love that little tidbit. I had no idea until you brought it up, but yeah, the Kirk Cousins curse. I like it's that. It's over. It's over, but they couldn't. It was more powerful than the cur than the curse. The Lions curse was more powerful than the curse of Kirk Cousins, I guess, in the end. All right, Andrew, appreciate it. Get some uh, get some time off at some point. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff from Andrew. And of note, uh, TJ Hawkinson underwent successful ACL repair surgery on Monday. The Vikings announced training camp like six months away from starting. You, really one of the big questions for 2024 that maybe we're losing in the shuffle of all the big off-season drama is how much can the Vikings expect to get from TJ Hawkinson next year, given that he injured that ACL late in the year, given that he didn't have surgery until you know late January. How much is he going to be able to help next year? Is he going to be ready right at the start of the season? Is it going to be mid-season? How effective is he going to be? How quick can he come back from that ACL? That's a big storyline going into next season because he is definitely one of their key core pieces on offense, whoever is throwing him the ball. Let us finish with the cooler. Another injury update and not a good one. Mara Braun out indefinitely for the Gophers women's basketball team. She was having a tremendous season. Um, injured late in a loss the other day. That season kind of taken a negative turn lately. A couple of, of rough losses for the Gophers lately and now Mara Braun out indefinitely with a foot injury so that will not help them at all. Um, you know, they had Kent Youngblood on it wasn't that long ago thinking this was a team that was trending towards the NCAA tournament. You add two bad losses and then you add an injury to your best player. That will put a dent in those expectations for sure. That will do it for me today. I think Chip Scoggins will be on with me on Wednesday to talk more Wolves and plenty of other stuff. Until then, I am Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow. Tomorrow.